we're talking about healing the official son. And, and a lot of people, when they hear the term miracles, have a lot of different thoughts about it. Uh, some people believe that miracles were a, a, a church time, New Testament, when Jesus was walking the earth, and that miracles do not happen today. Others believe that absolutely miracles happen today. You may have come today because you knew we were talking about miracles, and you need a miracle in your life and in your situation right now. Uh, I love what Jesus said regarding miracles in John chapter 14. Towards the end of John's gospel, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing, talking about signs and wonders, and he will even do, what, what does that say? Greater things. He'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. So Jesus, in, in talking to his disciples, he says, whatever I'm doing, you're also going to do. But as I go back to the Father, after my time here is done and I return back to the Father, you will even do greater things than these. And that's, that's amazing to think about when you think about the, the miracles that Jesus performed from healing the blind and the lame and feeding the 5,000 and resurrecting Lazarus from the grave that Jesus then says to us, if we're followers of Christ, that we can do even greater things than what he has performed. And the reality is, is that Jesus performed so many miracles. John says in John chapter 21, he, he said that, that Jesus performed so many miracles that there's not enough books in the world to contain all of the things that Jesus did in the three years that he would, was here on earth, in, in, in ministry on earth, from 30 to 33. That he did so much that we could not contain it all. But yet, there are these specific miracles that God chose to include in Scripture. And we have to ask ourselves, why? Why do these miracles matter so much that we need to hear them today? Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he said that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. That, that word God-breathed, that it's actually a phrase in the Greek. It's, it's theanustas, and it means to be inspired by God. It, it really means that, that every verse that we find in Scripture, even though it may have been penned by John or the Apostle Paul or, or the leader Moses, that it was the Holy Spirit speaking through them and that every word in Scripture comes directly from God. It's not man's opinion. It's not man's thought. It's not man's experience. But it is intentionally put there by God. It's God-breathed. It's God-inspired. God spoke it into existence, and we penned the words. And so if it's God-breathed, there is something specific in each one of these stories. That means that every law that was, every cubic measurement that was listed, every, every region that was named, every lineage that was, that was marked, every miracle that is recorded in Scripture is there for a reason, for a purpose, and on purpose, not just for that day, but for our day today. So when we look at that, what is God trying to speak to us in this miracle? And I, the reason I bring that up is I want us to understand that there's different things we're going to look at each week. And, and the reality is that different miracles require different responses that ignite different elements of our faith. If you're taking notes today, you can put this in. Different miracles require different responses that ignite different elements of our faith. And every time that Jesus performs a miracle in Scripture, he is making a point. He's teaching something greater than that momentary need. And a lot of times what we do if we're not careful as Christians, when we get into a situation where we need a breakthrough, we need a miracle, we need God to, to show up because, because there is no other way, then we're looking, how can we get God to do what we need him to do? 
And Jesus isn't interested in doing what we need him to do. Jesus is far less interested in our temporary situations than he is our eternal soul. And so every time that Jesus does something, it's with an eternal intention. So here in this moment, Jesus is going to teach us something. Last week's miracle, turning the water into wine. Phenomenal message. Pastor Jason did such a great job. But it was a a miracle that required an action of faith. They ran out of wine. They needed wineskins or casks or a wine press. And Jesus told them to get the six ceremonial cleansing pots. They needed wine to serve. And Jesus told them to fill it with water. And so there was this act of obedience in faith that they had to do in order to see the miracle come to pass. And this was the the thing that Jesus was teaching. Part of the message in that miracle was this act of obedience, this action of faith. But here we see something different. We're going to be looking at this miracle. What Jesus is trying to teach us is less about our actions and more about our belief. He wants us to believe. And I titled this message today that believing is seeing. You've heard the thought that seeing is believing, but Jesus said it's actually in reverse, believing is seeing. So let's look at this story today, and let's, let's look at it together and, and see what we can find in this setting of Scripture. In John chapter 4, starting in verse 46, the Bible says that once more he visited Cana in Galilee where he had turned the water into wine. Jesus had performed this miracle. He turned the water into wine, and then he left to Samaria, a foreign land, where he ministered, and he had phenomenal success in Samaria ministering. You may have heard the story of the, of the woman at the well that was in Samaria. And now he's coming back into his homeland where he has turned the water into wine. And understand that there, there was no uh, texting, there was no uh, social media, there was no internet or phones, but yet for this day and age, this story had gone viral. Like word had spread. There was this dude at a wedding, and he turned water into wine. Like this word had spread throughout the region. And there we see here in this predicament that there is a royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. Now Capernaum was about 15 to 20 miles away from Cana and Galilee. And this man, this royal official, had heard what Jesus had done when he turned the water into wine. And now he finds himself in a situation where his son needs a miracle. He needs a miracle in his house. The Bible says that he's a royal official. As a matter of fact, most scholars and theologians believe that he was in Herod's court. And King Herod at that time was the same Herod that would kill John the Baptist and behead him, Jesus' cousin. So Jesus is fully aware of who this man is when he comes for this need. And in verse 47, we see the plea. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and he begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. So we see the urgency in this situation that he, his son had been sick, he'd had a fever, but now he's close to death. He's at death's door. And so we find this, this man who is an official who is used to authority and royalty and power and influence. He's humbling himself before Jesus and asking for a miracle. The situation is dire. And he wants Jesus to come back to Capernaum. He wants that miracle to take place in his house. Some of us need a miracle in our house today, and we've maybe come expecting or wanting or asking or even begging, Jesus, come perform a miracle for me. And look at Jesus' response here in verse 48. The man pleads with him because his son is at death's door. And Jesus almost ignores him, and he says, unless you people, and he's referring to the crowd that has gathered around him, not 
really acknowledging the official's request. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. Jesus' response doesn't make sense to the request. It almost seems like a rebuke to the man for asking for a miracle. But if you've been a believer for very long, you know that God's heart is not one to withhold from us. God's heart is not one to not meet our needs. We see that time and time again in Scripture. But yet Jesus here, his response is almost a rebuke. And the reason for that is because Jesus is trying to speak to something deeper, something greater than just this momentary response. He's speaking to a deeper truth. He says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. See, he had performed the miracle. He'd went to Samaria. He spoke to the woman at the well. The woman at the well went to her region and told all the people, come and see a man who told me my entire life. And they come out to see Jesus, and they hear Jesus, and they believe him. As a matter of fact, in, in John 4, 42, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because you told us, but because we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man is really the Savior of the world. So Jesus is in a foreign land. He has a great successful ministry, does not perform a single miracle. No signs and wonders. And yet they hear him and they believe him. He comes back to his hometown, back to his people, and they come to seek a sign. So he says to them, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't even believe. And the official response to him, he says to him, the royal official says to him, this father who's in desperate need, he says, sir, come down before my child dies. Now, in order to really understand what is happening here, it's like all of a sudden this man who's a royal official, he's used to having power, he's used to his influence, he's used to getting his way and being able to command people. He has now changed his tone, and that word sir, when he calls Jesus sir, he actually is honoring his authority. He's recognizing that Jesus has authority in this moment. There is a heart shift in this royal official. He's gone from someone seeking the sign to understanding that he's standing in the presence of the Savior. There's this change in him that he recognizes, I'm now in the presence of greatness. And he refers to Jesus. He does not uh, acknowledge the rebuke, but he changes his heart towards Jesus, and he calls him sir. The next verse, Jesus' response to this heart shift is, go, your son will live. Then the man took Jesus at his word and departed. Man, that's such an amazing statement because here's this guy that did not know Jesus. His son is at death's door. The, the situation is dire and he needs a miracle. He traveled to Cana in Galilee with the full intention of taking Jesus back to Capernaum. Jesus almost seems to ignore his plea, his desperation and his need, and uses it as a teaching moment to the crowd. And then the man asks him again, Sir, you have authority. I recognize who you are. I'm beginning to have a heart shift. Please come and heal my son. And when Jesus simply speaks the word, go, your son lives, the man takes him at his word. He believes him without seeing the proof of the sign. And so often when we are in dire need, we're asking God, to make a way, to make a way, to make a way. God, we need you to intervene. God, we need a miracle. God, we need you to move in this situation. God, we, we, need, a, we need a financial breakthrough. We need a healing. And, and we're asking and we're asking and we're seeking and we're begging and we're pleading and we're waiting until we can see the proof before we begin to trust. 
And here this man simply hears the words of Jesus and he trusts him. And it goes on to say in verse 51, while he was still on his way, heading back home, and I want you to think about this for a moment. He's, he's from Capernaum. I looked this up. Capernaum is about 15 to 20 miles away from Cana and Galilee. Now, they didn't have cars, no helicopters, anything like that. So I looked it up. It's about a six-and-a-half-mile walk, okay, or six-and-a-half-hour walk. Six-and-a-half-hour walk from Capernaum to Galilee if you're walking at a casual pace. So it's a day's trip. He's on his way. His servants met him with the news that his boy was living, verse 52. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday. They said to him yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Now, I, I want to just point this out to you for just a moment. Now, if my son is at death's door, and I have traveled, and I am desperate in need of a miracle, and Jesus tells me that he's going to live, I am going to leave Jesus in that moment, and I am heading home. But something has happened in this man's heart He's recognized the authority of Jesus. He's taken him at his word, and he does not travel home until the next day. He doesn't head back until the following day because he knows in himself that God has already performed the miracle on his behalf. This is such a phenomenal moment where he says, I trust you, I'm going to take you at your word, and so I'm going to go home, but I know that it's already done. I'm not rushing, I'm not in a hurry. There's a peace now because I know that you have spoken it, and it's already completed. Such a powerful moment in Scripture. And so in verse 53, after he found out it was yesterday, he says the father realized that this was the exact moment when Jesus said to him, your son will live. One o'clock was the exact time. And so there's the second part, this part that Jesus was really speaking to. Because Jesus wasn't so, he wasn't so consumed with the momentary need of this son living. He was consumed with the need for these people to believe on something eternal. And so in this moment, when they realized at the exact moment when he spoke, his son was healed, he and his entire household believed. This was Jesus' whole point in this miracle, was that we need to believe before we see. He was trying to get them to understand that there's a greater value in the eternal than there is the temporary. But oftentimes, we are seeking the sign rather than seeking the Savior. So can I just say to you, don't be a sign seeker, but be a Savior seeker. Don't be a sign seeker. Be a savior seeker. We're not looking for the miracle. We're looking for the miracle maker. Jesus speaks to the issue of their belief, and they believe in the miracle and not in the miracle maker. They come to see the signs and the wonders. But this man, he hears Jesus, and he knows that he's encountered the creator of heaven and earth. It changes his approach. It changes how he receives Jesus. Our approach will change how we receive and what we receive from Jesus. And this is important to understand because a lot of times when we, we need a miracle, we try to figure out the formula, right? Have you ever tried to figure out the formula, right? Like, like you, when you're romancing your spouse, like you know the meal, you know the music, you know the spot, right? Like you know... Is she, she about rose petals and candles? Is she about a dinner and a movie? Like, you know, right? Like, ladies, you know, man. Is he about the meatloaf or is he about the prime rib? I don't know, but you know. You know, right? Like, I know if I want to romance Pastor Alicia, man, I got to throw a bone-in ribeye on that grill. Put on some Sam Cook. Let's go. Yeah, I got game. Don't you worry about it. 
We haven't been married 28 years by accident, I'll tell you right now. So we know the formula, right? And so we do this with Jesus. Like when we have a need, we look for the formula. Oh, man, I'm going to start being faithful with my giving. Let me start getting faithful. I need a financial breakthrough. All of a sudden, I'm, I am faithful with that tithe, man. It's coming out on the first, you know. I, I need God to, to heal my marriage, man. We start attending all the unity conferences, you know what I'm saying? And, like, we, we're looking for the formula. And please understand my heart in it. I'm not trying to be mean to anyone. Those things are all good. But what I'm saying is don't get it twisted because there's no formula. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. He's going to do what he wants to do in his timing because his ways and his thoughts are higher and greater than ours. He, he is far less concerned about your temporary need than he is your internal circumstances, okay? He wants eternity for you, and he wants a deeper relationship for you. And so Jesus is here in this moment. He, he comes back, and, and in John 4, 43, he, he talks about the heart position and the approach. He said after two days he left for Galilee. This is after he left Samaria. And Jesus was fully aware of what he was walking into. He just left a successful time in Samaria, and he said, he, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. He said, look, I'm going home, but I know they don't see me. They don't see me. They don't see the potential. They don't see who I really am. Like, you can probably relate to that, right? Like, like you, you want to do something. You have hopes and dreams and aspirations, and, and the people closest to you, they, maybe they don't see it in you. And Jesus is feeling this. Like, they don't see that I am the Messiah. They're, they're too close to it. And the Bible says that, that when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. And so, but they didn't welcome him for the reason that we think they did. And if it goes on, it goes on and says that they, had, they welcomed him because they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival. So they had seen the sign. They had seen the miracle. And so they welcomed the miracle, not the miracle maker. He was, he was very aware that this was an issue. They welcome the signs and not the Savior. It's so important that we understand that there's a lot of reasons that we don't really see Jesus when we're in our desperate situations. But I think there's two, two main reasons, and if you're taking notes today, the first reason is that because our faith has become like a drug. And I'll explain. Don't, don't, don't freak out yet. But what I mean by that is that it, there's no depth to the relationship with Jesus, and instead we're looking for the fix. We're looking continuously for the fix. Jesus, it's me again. You ever, you ever prayed that prayer? Je Jesus, it's, it's me again. I, I, I messed up. It, Jesus, I, I need, Jesus, I, it's, it's me again. Here I am, Jesus. And, and we, we're looking, can you, can you work out the situation? I, I, I know that I haven't been faithful, but, but would you wor work out this situation? And then I promise, uh, Jesus, if, just one more time, Jesus, and we have this guilt and condemnation and coming to the Father, and we, we're not coming boldly to the throne of grace because we're looking at our faith as a fix rather than a lifestyle. And so we're searching the next high, right? Like we need the next prophetic word. We, we need the next conference. We, we, need, we need the next revelation, and there's no stability to our faith, and so we're up and down and up and down, and, and, and one moment we have the victory, and the next moment we think God has forsaken us. And we have this emotional roller coaster of our faith going on. There's no stability because we've treated our relationship with Jesus like a drug. Just when we need the fix. Just when we need a little bit of Jesus. There's no room for it in our lives, but we're going to get that fix whenever we need him. Just to appease ourselves, we're just going to get a little bit of Jesus. And so we don't really see Jesus for who he is. 
Jesus said in John 4, 48, he said, unless you see signs and wonders, you will never believe. He understood this, that we treat our faith like a drug. He understood that they were coming to see the signs and not the Savior. And the second, I think the second reason why we don't see Jesus clearly is because our faith becomes common. It becomes this thing that where we're, we're oversaturated. We, we, we have our, our phones that have every translation and version of the Bible at our fingertips, and yet we're reading our Bibles less than ever. Like, we, we have this, we, at, at, we can go on YouTube and watch any message and hear any worship song at, at, at a moment's notice, and, and it's become so common for us that we're not really revering the presence of God like we should. And it's, it's not that, that we can't be casual and, and, and approach God. It's okay if we have coffee and all those things. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about religion. But what I'm talking about is an awe and a wonder that we serve the creator of heaven and earth. That he is not our neighbor. He is our savior. And there has to be a point where our hearts reverence God. Proverbs 9.10 says it like this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. And it's not like being afraid of God. It actually means holy reverence. It's talking about how we approach God. We approach him not just as like our neighbor or our best buddy, and I'm not dogging anybody how they pray, but our heart approach, the position of our heart is one of humility because he is the God that caused fire to fall from heaven. He is the God that parted the Red Sea for the Israelites. He is the God that spoke from the fiery bush. He is the God that raised the dead, that caused the blind to see. We serve a miracle-working God full of power and victory who gave his only son for us. This is who we approach. And it changes our heart posture when we approach him that way. So rather than, Jesus, it's me again, can you do this? What if, what if our approach changed? Because condemnation is not from God. So if you messed up, you messed up. Guess what? Grace is available. Jesus paid the price. You can't earn it anyway. But what if our prayers changed to Jesus? It's me again. How can I serve you today? Jesus, it's me again. Direct my steps today. Jesus, it's me again. I want to be close to you. Jesus, it's me again. I want to approach you again. Have you, have you ever tried to pray and you find yourself so distracted? Like, like you're trying to have prayer time. Maybe you heard a great message on it from Pastor Jason. And you're like, that's it. Man, I'm getting up a half hour early every morning. I'm going to start praying. And three seconds into the prayer, you're thinking about your day and your emails and your notifications. And you're like, oh, man, I can't even steal my mind to pray. And I, I read just recently in a, in a book I read right now, that he, the, the author said to reframe your distractions and stop looking at it as like I keep messing up, but look at it, if I'm distracted 10,000 times, it's 10,000 opportunities for me to re-encounter the presence of God. So instead of like, Jesus, it's me again, it's like, Jesus, it's me again. You know me. You know me. Jesus, I'm here again because I want to have an encounter with you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to see you the way you're meant to be seen. So how do we see him when we don't see him? How do we, how do we approach him the right way? How do we shift our heart in such a way that we see the miracle maker instead of the miracle? What do we do? I think there's a great lesson in this man's life. This royal official who was turned into a desperate father, and he needed Jesus. So there's three things that I want to share with you. 
three things on how we approach Jesus. And if you're taking notes today, the first way is the first thing is to go back. Go back. Remember who God is. To go back and return to your first love. It's, it's that moment, sometimes we get so lost, like we get so messed up in our faith and we're, we're, we, we've got so convoluted. And I was just talking to somebody this morning after first service and, and they were talking about just adding some like religious things from their past into their faith and how confused they were about who God really was in their life. And, and we, we get so twisted and messed up and we add all of our baggage to our faith and our religion to our faith. And sometimes we just need to hit reset and go back, go back to our first love. I love, the, the Bible says in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. God said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. God was calling his people to come back, to hit reset, to come back to their first love, to come back again. And this is where we find the official coming back in John 4, 46, he says, once more he visited Cana in Galilee. This is Jesus, where he had turned the water into wine. So when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him. He went to the place where he heard there was an encounter. And some of us need to go back. Some of us need to go back in order to go forward. We need to hit the reset button. And go forward again with Jesus. But we've gotten off track in our faith. We've gotten off track in our relationship. And we need to go back to our first love. God talks about this to the loveless church in Revelations chapter 2. He said, you're doing all these amazing things. You're trying all this stuff. But I have this one thing against you. You forgot your first love. Return to the first things. Go back, hit reset. It's not about the signs. It's not about the miracles. It's about the, the Savior. It's about the miracle maker. Return to your first love. Let's begin to seek the Savior. Our approach has to be one where we're returning to the heart of the Father. Where we're returning to the heart of the Father. Once we go back, he does this next thing. He, he keeps seeking. He keeps seeking. He does not give up. He keeps persisting. It's this idea of being persistent. Jesus said in Matthew 7, he said, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. He was giving this instruction of being persistent, of continuing to press in and seek. And we see this here in, in John 4, 47 with the officials uh, and, and who needs his son healed. It says that he went to him and he begged him to come and heal his son. He begged him. He was desperate for him. He, his approach changed in the moment. He went begging, and he asked Jesus to do something. He was in a desperate situation. His son was close to death. It had gotten to that point. Like, sometimes, man, we try to fix things, we try to fix things, we try to fix things, and then it gets to the point where we can't do anything else, and we become desperate. Desperate, and this is where this father is. It doesn't matter that he's a royal official anymore. Now he's a father. He's a father, and he's in need. And Jesus says, unless you people see signs and wonders... You'll never believe. And then there's this heart shift that we see. I don't know why he understood this, but standing in the presence of Jesus and hearing his words, he understood that Jesus was trying to speak to a deeper truth. He understood that it wasn't about this momentary miracle, but there was something bigger at stake. 
And so the official's heart changes, and he recognizes Jesus' authority. And he says, sir, come and heal my son. He went from begging to believing in that moment. There was a shift from begging and pleading to believing that God could do the impossible. Jesus almost ignores the plea because he's more concerned with a bigger picture. But this man understood what Jesus was saying. And so he does this third thing. He starts believing. He starts believing. Some of you have been plagued by doubt, fear, anxiety. You've been playing the what-if game. What if it doesn't work out? What if, what if the business goes under? What if my marriage fails? What, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And, and you're so wrapped up in that momentary desperation, and it's real. It's real. I, I feel it. But God wants you to start looking at something greater than just this moment. Start believing. Because belief is a choice. In John 4.50, Jesus told the man, go, your son will live. And the man took Jesus at his word. He made this choice to believe. Something changed. He went from begging to believing. He had a revelation of who Jesus was. He, he knew that everything was going to be okay. He didn't even race home. He knew. He knew. And it wasn't like knowing here. It shifted to knowing here. And if I, if I can like, you're, you're not going to be able to intellectually explain Jesus to a place that brings you peace. You can't. Wisdom and knowledge and understanding are important, but there's a deeper truth that when it transfers from the head to the heart, you just, you know. You know there's, there's something greater. There's something greater. I love, John starts out his gospel different than the other three gospels. The other three gospels start with the lineage of Jesus, but John starts out like this in John 1.1. 1, 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word is Jesus, by the way. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. John describes Jesus in a totally different light. He says, look, this Jesus that I'm writing about, that I walked with and talked with and saw the miracles he performed and ate at the same table with him, he was at the very beginning because he's God. And so then we go to the book of beginnings, Genesis chapter 1, it says this, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and God said, God spoke, let there be light and there was light. Jesus spoke in this moment to the son or to this official about his son. He said, go, your son lives. And even though he did not go to Capernaum 20 miles, 15, 20 miles away, yet the miracle still happened. The miracle took place. Understanding that God's word is greater than anything that we could face. And so when Jesus speaks over a situation, it happens. It transcends time. It transcends regions. It transcends anything impossible. There's no mountain too large, no valley too deep, no shadow too dark that Jesus cannot speak into it. He speaks into this, and, and this man, he knows. He knows. He got there, and they said, yesterday at 1 o'clock, your son was healed. 
And he said that his whole, him and his whole household believed they knew. Like they believed. Like it went from here to here. And they just knew. They knew that Jesus had performed a miracle for them. And more importantly, they knew that they had encountered the Savior, the Messiah, God incarnate. They knew. They knew. Can I tell you today that the power is in the knowing? It's in the knowing. Believing is seeing. There has to be a transfer from here to here where we know, where there's a peace that goes beyond all understanding. When our oldest son was born, he was very, very ill. And we had the life flight to three hospitals that same night. This is many, many years ago. We were young. I was terrified. Pastor Alicia was a rock star. Like she checked out of her hospital that next morning, showed up at the hospital I was at with our son. Her faith was just solid all the way through. Uh, he was uh, on ECMO, and at that time, it was like a brand-new procedure. He was like the 95th patient ever to be on ECMO. We were at a teaching hospital, Vanderbilt University. And every day, a team of doctors would come and tell us how he wasn't going to make it. Every day. Every day. And it's like we didn't get it because my wife would say, I appreciate all of you're doing for my son, but, but I know he's going to live. Because God had spoke to her. My journey was different than hers. God had spoke to her, and she absolutely believed that he was going to live. And she was just, moms are incredible. And she was just a faith rock star every day. And as much as they were trying to help, it felt like an onslaught every day as they would come in. They would sit us down in a room, and they would tell us how he wasn't going to make it. And if he was going to make it, how his life would be so diminished how he wouldn't ever be normal, how he wouldn't ever be able to walk, he wouldn't speak, all these things just every, every day. And I was so tormented and filled with fear and anxiety and I was praying. Everything was here. And I found a hallway in the back of the hospital where they stored empty gurneys and I was there by myself and I was crying out one day to God. And I just told him, I said, God, I know you can but I don't know if you're going to. And if you don't, I want you to know that we're okay. Because I know, I know, not here, but I know here, that your plan's better than my plan. I know that your ways and your thoughts are higher and greater than mine. I know something deep within me that you'll carry us through and that it'll somehow be for your glory. I don't see it. I don't understand it. But I know it. I know it. And I meant that with all of my heart. And something changed in that moment. Something in, inside of me just changed and transformed in that moment. And there was a peace that truly went above, above and beyond all understanding. And I knew that God had us. Thankfully, our son was healed. And he's strong and healthy and smart and... Good looking like his mom and dad. Thank you. <laughs> but I knew. I knew. This man knew when Jesus said, go, your son will live. He knew. There was this heart change. 
Jesus said these words in John 10, 14. He said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Paul, or David wrote these words, uh, God's words in, in Psalms 46. He said, be still and know that I am God. Know that I am God. There is a greater depth of relationship when we stop seeking the miracle and start seeking him. Our approach changes. God, you're in control, and I know I know that we're going to be okay. I know that you're still on the throne. I know that you're going to make a way. I know that you will see us through. Whether it's here in this moment or on the other side of eternity, I know. I know.